0: To you, it's uh, good to have you here. We are beginning a new uh, series this morning. It feels like uh, everything's new. The rain has come and the heat is gone and the smoke's cleared out. And so we're starting something new this morning. It's a series called Better. And you know, sometimes people ask me like, how do I decide what the next series is gonna be? And sometimes it just kind of sneaks up on you. Um, actually, this, this summer... I was, I knew that we'd be finishing Colossians in September and I knew we'd need something new in October and I was actually not looking to figure out what that was at the time but one morning uh, I was reading in Ecclesiastes and I read this verse from Ecclesiastes 4.13. It goes like this, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice and there was something about like I remember reading that verse. And then getting ready for the day, and like that verse was just sticking with me. Ever read a passage and you just can't stop thinking about it? And I'm thinking about the passage, and I'm, you know, brushing my teeth and getting ready for the day, and of course, I was asking myself a question, right? And you know what the question's going to be as I'm reading this passage. Am I in there somewhere? Let's see. I'm not young, so that only leaves old, um, and I couldn't help but thinking am i at a place in life where i feel like i know it all where i feel like i've got all the answers where i don't need any more wisdom and i really i was really thinking a lot about that for days just meditating on that passage just thinking about that and and one of the things that i realized as i was reading through um, especially the wisdom literature uh, proverbs in particular was this kind of idea as i think about wisdom that The typical approach, I think, for most Christians when it comes to wisdom, is kind of a needs-based approach. We don't think about wisdom hardly ever until we need it. Like, we don't wake up most days and go, you know, today, I need some more wisdom. Today, I think I'm going to get into the Word of God and get some wisdom. Most of us are not, that's not the way we approach wisdom. Wisdom is like not even on our radar until we need it. And then when we need it, we need it. Like, I got a decision, I had a relationship, I got a conflict, and we, you know, claim James 1.5, and we're all over that, and then, you know, we're like, God, where's my wisdom? <laughs> where, where, where is it? And I think that when I read scripture, what I find more often than not is that really wisdom is kind of a, it's a lifestyle pursuit. It's not a needs-based thing, it's a lifestyle. That we make a lifestyle out of seeking the wisdom of God on a daily basis, even when we don't think maybe that we need it that day. What I realized as I was going through uh, especially the wisdom literature was that there's a whole bunch of what I call better verses. They're verses that kind of highlight how um, there's one way most people live and then there's something better that God has for us. And most of it seems tied into the wisdom of God. And it made me think about how often we settle for okay when God has something better for us. And so that's where this series is going to take us. We're going to take 11 weeks and look at 11 better verses. There's a lot more of them, but we're just going to look at 11 of them. And today, we're going to start just by talking about wisdom, just by laying a foundation about wisdom and and what it is and why it's important. So let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for bringing us here today, and I thank you that, you know, maybe some of us came in here this morning desperate for wisdom, desperate to hear from you, and some of us, you know, maybe not. But I pray this morning that we could kind of set aside the things that might distract us. The things that are coming later today or this week. And that we could fully give our attention right now to you and your word. And that we would allow you, invite you, and welcome you to speak into our hearts. That we would be like that good soil that's ready to take it in. And ready to bring forth a a harvest. And so we pray now that, that you will open the eyes of our heart so that we may know your wisdom for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I I have a um, a pretty good uh, internal compass. Um, I was reading, doing some research this last week. Uh, What I discovered was um, a whole bunch of you have no idea where north, south, east, or west is at any time of the day. But some of us, you know, we we have a fairly good, mine's not perfect, but you know, when I go out for a run, I usually know where north, south, east, and west is. If I go hiking, um, I go down to Phoenix, get off the plane, start driving around. I, I know where it is. I was down in California recently and just get off the plane and pretty much know where north, south, east, and west is. When I was growing up, we had a a cabin up in the San Bernardino Mountains and a, the cabin backed up against the National Forest. And my, my parents were just like, they would let me go hiking for the day. I was like, you know, young kid. I'd go hiking up in the mountains for, for sometimes an entire day at a time. Never had a compass. Just always knew where north, southeast was. I knew how to get home. But all that was challenged for me the first time I went to uh, Nicaragua. And if you've ever been to a foreign country, somewhere that's, you know, maybe thousands of miles away, maybe you've experienced what I did. But I remember the very first time I went there, and so it's just very different terrain, and there's not a lot of markers that, you know, you might know in terms of directions and stuff. And I remember being there, and and I'm guessing now, it was probably, because this is back in 2010, I was probably there two or three days. And when I got off the plane, I I didn't, um, I wouldn't say that I... Broke out my compass and figured out where was where. I just, inside my internal compass said, oh yeah, here's north, south, east, and west. I had it all figured out. I didn't really think about it. And then I think it was probably, we were probably three days into the trip, and um, the sun was setting one evening. And it was blowing my mind because the sun was setting, and I, I'm looking at the sun setting, and I realized that I had been thinking the entire time that e or that, that west was east. And I remember looking at the sun setting and it was, a, it was the weirdest thing because my brain was saying, well obviously that's west because the sun's going down. But my internal compass was screaming, something's wrong because the sun's setting in the east. Like it was my internal compass was absolutely positively sure that that was east and there, there was something that, that was wrong. Now there's a, there's a lot of research that's been done as to why our compass might get thrown off um, you know Nicaragua is 3,100 miles south from here and, and so it's near the equator and they'll say well the position of the sun as it arcs through the sky in the daytime maybe that throws you off some think it's actually the magnetic field that we're connected to that throws us off here's all I can tell you I, what I learned that day was my internal compass is not reliable. I had always thought that it was rock solid reliable and I discovered it wasn't. And, and even now, when I go to Nicaragua, I always kind of land and I can just tell you it's the weirdest thing. Because I will look west and my, and my compass will say, I don't care how many times we've been here, that's east. Even though it's not east, it's west. Now, in the same way that we have kind of an internal compass if you will directionally speaking I want to suggest today that we also have an internal moral compass so this is a different kind of compass and and I'm going to call it this morning intuition just to kind of get us thinking about all this I'm going to talk about our internal moral compass is intuition and intuition is just this where we think I just know I just know what's right I just know what's wrong I just know what's true I just know it And um, Oxford Dictionary uh, defines intuition this way. It's the ability to understand something immediately and without need for conscious reasoning. Intuition is kind of like the internal moral compass that many people rely on to discern right and wrong. It's how they make decisions. It's how they make judgments and valuations. They don't think about it. They don't need conscious reasoning. They just know. And when you ask them, they'll just say, I don't know how I know it, but I just know it. But here's the thing. What if our internal moral compass, what if our intuition is just as unreliable as my, you know, directional compass is? What if, in fact, I don't know the difference between right and wrong? And here's the kicker. What if I don't know the difference between right and wrong, and I don't know that I don't know the difference between right and wrong what if i think that my internal moral compass in fact is absolutely accurate what if i don't know the difference between reality and and fantasy and truth and lies and wisdom and foolishness what might the ramifications be for the decisions that i make what might the decisions be what might it how might it impact my relationships or my my finances or my health or my ethics well you don't really have to wonder you only have to look outside Right? Because we have a world that is, that is running on intuition. A world that is running on impulse. They're just going through life, just thinking they know what they know, just making decisions, making value judgments. They don't know the difference between right and wrong, but they don't know that they don't know it. And in the midst of all this comes Proverbs 16, 16, which is a passage I'm going to look at today. It's the first of the betters that we're going to look at. It says, how much better to get wisdom than gold? to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. And so Solomon says to us, of all the things that we could get in this world, how much better it is to get wisdom, how much better it is to get understanding than it is to get gold or silver or wealth. And in Proverbs, we get what I want to call this, this wise priority. God gives for us a priority. Solomon suggests for us that If we're going to have to prioritize our life, which we are, he wants us to know where wisdom should fall in all this. Again, he says, how much better to get wisdom? How much better to get understanding? Now, that word wisdom in the Hebrew chokmah means skill. That's what it means. Now, we translate it sometimes as wise or as wisdom. But that word is actually used in the Old Testament to describe a skilled worker, a skilled artist, a skilled carpenter or builder or administrator, someone who's skilled at warfare, Someone who's skilled at, at finances, and the word understanding is used synonymously with with wisdom. Here, it comes from the fruit uh, or from the root of the word to distinguish or discern, or again, it, it means skill. And so, the point is this: that wisdom and understanding, he says, are better than wealth. Now, why would wisdom be better than wealth? Well, one of the obvious reasons would be because, and uh, Proverbs brings this out many times. Uh, wisdom can produce wealth but wealth cannot buy wisdom now wisdom can produce a lot of things as we'll look at in this series wisdom in fact and we see this in in proverbs can produce wealth a wise person knows how to make money Uh, it can produce a solid grasp of reality wisdom can bring contentment that no amount of money can bring it can bring a healthy self-image it can create loving relationships It can bring satisfaction at work. Maybe you're at a job and nobody's happy. But wisdom can bring contentment uh, and satisfaction at work, at school. It can build self-discipline. We'll be looking at that. It's a blessing to you. It's a blessing to others. It brings integrity in our lives. He says this, if you must make a choice between wisdom and wealth, if you have to choose between wisdom and wealth today, he says, choose wisdom. Get wisdom. That's where you want to go. Now, wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. I have this in your notes. And when we talk about knowledge, we're talking about kind of academics. We're talking about things like facts and numbers and principles and truth and charts and theories and history and timelines, knowledge. But when we talk about wisdom, wisdom is technically the, the skill of knowing how to apply knowledge, how to apply it to real life situations. Maybe you've met people who have a ton of knowledge and no know wisdom. They don't know how to put it into action. There's a meme that's been on the internet for years. It it goes like this. That knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit, and wisdom is not putting a tomato in a fruit salad. And that's a good way of thinking about knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to apply knowledge to everyday life. It's not obvious, and it's not intuitive. So one of the things that we want to talk about is why. Why would we need to talk about wisdom? which makes us want to take a few minutes to talk about what I'm going to call our natural, unspiritual state. Again, in Proverbs 16, notice what he says here. How much better to, and what's the next word? How much better to get. All right, let's try that again. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Notice what he says. We need to get wisdom, we need to get Understanding, in other words, it implies that wisdom isn't intuitive; that it's something we must acquire. Our problem is that our intuition, our inner moral compass, is distorted in its natural state. It is it is broken. It doesn't come naturally for us. We are not born wise, right? We don't expect infants or young children to be wise. We don't expect that. We know we're not born with it, but it's not even automatic as we grow older. Right? How many people do we know who grew up but they never grew wise? They're, they're adults but they're, and they have a ton of knowledge but they're still foolish. In fact, it isn't even necessarily connected to the growth of knowledge. You can have uh, degrees and, and go to school and still not be wise. You might have a lot of knowledge but you might not have the skill of knowing how to apply that to, to life. In Proverbs 14, 12 it says there is a way that seems right to a man. But its end is the way of death. There's a warning here that the intuition that comes naturally to us um, actually leads to the opposite of what we, what we hope for, of, of what we think will happen. And, and it doesn't just bring physical death, which it brings because of sin, but it brings death along the journey. We know that when we don't have wisdom in our life, that what ends up happening is it brings the death to relationships, Right? When, we, when we have relationships without wisdom, when we have uh, hopes without wisdom, it brings death to our potential and, and peace and contentment and meaning and joy in life. And, and here's the problem. Everyone thinks that their intuition is right. But true wisdom is unnatural. It isn't, it isn't intuitive. In Romans chapter one, Paul's talking about this very thing. And he says, for, for God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Paul's just talking about this, this whole concept here and he, he says that anyone can go outside and look at the stars and look at uh, nature and at creation and they can see evidence of, of design, of, of God, of a designer. And then two things in particular he says we notice in nature about God, that he has eternal power, and that he has a divine nature. And he goes on and says this, that, so that they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks to him as God, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then he says this, claiming to be wise, they became fools. So Paul's just talking about the, the mind that doesn't know Christ. The natural mind goes outside and looks at creation, and looks at design, and looks at beauty, and where you see a creator, where you see a designer, it says they see nothing. Why? Because they have rejected God. And claiming to be wise, they became fools. He's just saying that natural, unspiritual wisdom leads to things like, you know, it leads to statements like, well, truth is relative. So we hear this all the time. Well, you know, I have my truth and, and, and you have your truth and so I'll just stay in my lane and you stay in your lane. And right, you, When you hear things like that, do you ever think to yourself, but that's illogical. You, you can't have one truth here and one truth here. That's, that's not the definition of truth. And what do we do when these truths come up against each other and they don't match? Like, how does that work? How can there be, right? And as Christians, we hear this stuff when we're like, that's, that's foolish. That's ridiculous. But our world says, oh no that's really wise it's wise to go around and say well I have my truth and you have your truth and you know it it leads to things like the philosophy of materialism hear this all the time in our world that the only thing that's real is is matter is atoms and 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 molecules and materials this is the philosophy of materialism materialism says the only thing that's real is the physical world there is no spiritual world there is no world beyond this world and there's no such thing as a soul That you are just atoms and material and that's all you are. It leads to things like, well, consciousness is a purely chemical and physical process. So you hear this sometimes where people say, you're thinking right now in this room is you're thinking because there are chemicals uh, passing in your brain and there's electrical impulses and there's atoms that are all firing and that's why you're thinking right now. But you are nothing more than a physical being. And when you die, nothing will be left of you. Because those chemicals will be done, all that will be done, and you will cease to exist. It leads to things like nihilism that says there's no point to life. It's absolutely pointless and there's no purpose to it. It leads to statements where people say, you know, like, well, if there's a God, his design for sex and marriage is no longer relevant it doesn't matter anymore or you you get the deconstruction of God-given gender identity right where now we say it just doesn't matter I'll just do what I want because again I have my truth and you have your truth stay in your lane stay out of my lane this is what you get things like people say well love requires affirmation if you don't affirm everything about me then you don't love me and if there is a God people say then there's many ways to God and what they're really saying is whatever way I think there is to God then that's the way to God Because if there is a God, then he's going to accept me on my terms, not the other way around. It's human wisdom. It's faulty. And notice what he says here. It leads to death. And so God gives us a call in scripture, we're going to say, to to wise up. to, To get wise. To stop running on impulse and intuition that is faulty. It says that we need something. We need wisdom from God. Proverbs is a book about Wisdom. And in the first seven verses of Proverbs, um, Solomon kind of just gets us thinking about this. In Proverbs 1:1, 1, 1, it says, that the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and in wise dealing in righteousness and in justice and in, inequity. Notice what he says here. He talks about receiving instruction. So what's he saying? We're not born wise we must obtain it, we must receive it, we must get instruction. He says we get it through instruction and, and through teaching and we get it through revelation from God, through the word and through correction. To gain wisdom, we must be teachable. And for a lot of us, that's hard. And in order to receive something from God, it, it means we must be humble. We must be willing to admit we don't know it all. We don't have it all together. We, we need God's help, we need help and that our intuition is lacking, and we must be open to receiving instruction from God. C.J. Mahaney puts it this way, he says, I am a proud man pursuing humility by the grace of God. I love that, I love what he's saying. He's like, I'm, I'm proud, but I'm, I'm trying to become humble, and I can only do it by the grace that God extends to me. But here's the hard truth, okay? You don't get to decide what's right and wrong. I don't get to decide what's right and wrong. We were born into a, a pre-existing order that was created by God, not by you and not by me. What is true and what is real is not up for debate. God has already defined what that is. And we need to know what God says about that. We need to understand what the order is that God has made. We need to understand what it means in relationships and finances. We need to, mean, we need to know what it means for marriage and sexuality and ethics, at, what it means at home to be wise What it means at work, at school, in everyday life so that we don't make foolish choices. And going on in Proverbs uh, chapter one, verse four, he says this, to give prudence to the simple. To give knowledge and discretion to youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And let the one who understands obtain guidance. Notice who needs instruction here. He says the simple need instruction. That's some of us, we're we're, we're simple people. He says youth need instruction. Uh, wisdom. It, most of us who have lived for a while, we're like, yeah, that's true. I, I was there. I needed it. Uh, all the young people I know, yeah, they need it for sure. But notice what he also says. Also the old, also the wise. And no, notice what he says. Let the wise hear. Let the wise hear an increase in learning. In other words, we all need it. We all need to be those who are humble and willing to accept instruction. And let's be realistic. As we, as we age, we can start to think that we know it all we can start to get a little proud and a little unteachable. Isn't that true? We don't always walk into a sermon or walk into a Bible study or walk into a conversation saying, I have some things I need to learn. There's some things that I don't know. But everyone needs to grow in wisdom. Going on in the next verse, to understand a proverb and a saying. The words of the wise and and their riddles. Verse seven, he says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That word despise, that is a, in the Hebrew, that's an emotional word. It's a word of contempt. It's a word of kind of uh, aloofness relationally. It's the arrogance of someone who is above instruction. It's the arrogance of someone who believes they're too smart for it, they're too good for it, they don't need it. In Proverbs 9 10, Solomon says this The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So wisdom begins with a, with a conviction, if you will. It begins with the fear of the Lord. So what is the fear of the Lord? What does that mean? Um, is, it, is it cowering? Is it, is it cringing? Is it, oh no, here comes God and he's in a bad mood and you know, he's gonna let me have it? Well, in Hebrew poetry, oftentimes, especially in Proverbs, you would have two lines in this poetry and you'd get a first line of statement and the second line would, would kind of explain the first line. And that's what's happening here in Proverbs nine ten. So when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it explains it. The fear of the Lord is the knowledge of the, of the Holy One. And when it says that it is wisdom, it, here he says it is insight. So what he's telling us is simply this, that it's not a cowering cringing of God, that it's a knowledge of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a knowledge of the Lord that leads to reverence, that leads to awe, that leads to, Scripture would say, a love for God. It's when we realize, as one writer said, I'm not the measure of all things, but I am being measured. The fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins. It's the the foundation we build upon. The Lord is to be feared because he is the righteous and all-knowing judge before whom we will all stand one day and give an account. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, he says, in God you come up against something which is, in every respect, immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. René Descartes, and some of you may recognize that name. Maybe you've studied him a little bit. Maybe the name may not sound familiar to you. But Descartes, who lived uh, from 1596 to 1650, wrote one line that even if you don't know about Descartes, you know this line. You've heard this before. And the line is this. He said, I think, therefore, I am, right? So you know this. Here's what uh, one biographer wrote about Descartes in this line. He said, Descartes wanted to know what was real. He was struggling to know what was real in this world. And so he did what seemed obvious to him. He started doubting everything to find out what would be left. So he whittled away at everything until he noticed that he was still there, that he was real, the one who was doubting. And so he thought he could not doubt that. And so he wrote, I think, that is, I doubt, and therefore, I am. So Descartes, the father of modern thought, started rebuilding reality outward, from himself. And for over 300 years our culture has been trying to live that way, building our civilization and our personal lives on ourselves. And it has failed. Absolutizing our own capacity for generating knowledge and hope and certainty exposes us to self-deception as postmodernism has shown. And what we find when we come to the Bible, when we come to the wisdom literature, when we come to Solomon is that Solomon turns Descartes on his head. He says that wisdom doesn't come from building outward from ourselves. Instead, what he says is knowledge starts with God. That our search for reality goes wrong when we leave God out and we make ourselves the judge of everything. So the fear of the Lord, we could say, is the death to, as one writer put, our narcissistic egos and our self-assured opinions. We don't turn inward for wisdom. We turn outward and we turn upward to God. As another writer put it, our true crisis is not informational, it's relational. Wise people humbly revere God and lovingly live to please Him. In Proverbs 3, 5, 6, and 7 are some words that are probably familiar to you. It says this, it puts it kind of all in perspective, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean On your own understanding, on your own intuition, on your own, uh, you know, moral compass. But trust in the Lord. In all your ways acknowledge Him. That is, get to know Him, study His word, live according to His word, and He will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Be humble. Be teachable. Don't be wise in your own eyes. We must humbly admit that our intuition isn't reliable. That we don't know it all. And we need to fear God and look to him and look to his word and follow his path. And in fact, God invites us to come to him for wisdom. James 1.5 are some words that are probably very familiar to you. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. How many times do we find ourselves sitting there? I gotta make a decision. I gotta do something. I don't know what to do. God invites us to come to him. Who gives generously to all and without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, that is doubting about God. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. He says if you lack wisdom, ask God. He's ready to give you wisdom. But asking again is an admission, right? It's an admission that we don't have it all figured out, that our wisdom is faulty, that we can't trust our, our intuition, and that we believe that God is the source of true wisdom. It means we have to humble ourselves and admit we need some help. And he provides it in so many ways. He provides wisdom for us through the word. We're gonna look at that in the weeks to come through the Holy Spirit, even through wise people who have absorbed the word of God in their life and put it into practice. And I wanna end with this thought that if you wanna do this, if you wanna live this way, if you wanna be willing to admit that your intuition is faulty and you're going to live according to the wisdom of God, then life's gonna be a struggle for you, right? And that struggle is gonna be quite real. If you decide to live by seeking God's wisdom, and you're going to put that in practice. There's gonna be a struggle because we live in a world that thinks that God's wisdom is foolishness. It's utterly ridiculous. And if you have ever shared your faith with someone who doesn't know Christ, then you know exactly how this plays out. Right? When we talk about the gospel, people scratch their heads. You ever had that? Like the gospel that you know and that you love and that makes sense to you. Have you ever shared it with somebody and they're like, I don't, I don't get it. That sounds weird, that sounds like when we talk about sin. You ever talk about sin and people go, I, well, I don't believe that. Well, I don't believe that sin. I don't believe that sin exists. I believe that it's all relative and my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth and you can't tell me that you know, my sin is not right because it's truth for me. When we talk about the gospel, when we talk about sin, when we talk about needing to be rescued, I can't tell you how many times I've talked about the Savior that God has brought to us, and people go, why why do I need a Savior? If there's no sin, then what do I need to be saved from? When we talk about repentance, man, this is a big one. You want to have some fun? Go out, find someone who doesn't know the Lord, find out what the sin in their life and tell them to repent. What do people say? Well, why do I need to change? Why do I need to repent? there's nothing wrong with this. It's my truth. It's my thing. When we talk about obeying God, when we talk about needing to be humble, when we talk about needing to put God before everything else, to people that don't know Christ, it sounds foolish to them. To the unspiritual, it feels like a prison. I've actually had people say that sounds awful. Christianity sounds terrible. It sounds like a prison. Right, what do we say? No, actually, it's freedom. Right, it's being released from all that stuff. But to the unspiritual mind, it sounds like foolishness. In Isaiah 55, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The wisdom of this world says all sorts of crazy stuff. It says stuff like, you know, wealth is better than wisdom because wealth is security. When I have wealth, I'm secure. When I have wealth, I can, I can buy my way out of any problem that I'll come across in life. The wisdom of this world says things like power is better because when I have power, then I have control. And when I have control, then I can you know, solve any problem that I'm gonna come up against. That's right, we hear that and go, that's ridiculous. All the power and money in the world can't solve a person's biggest problems, but the wisdom of the Lord sounds like craziness to unbelievers. The wisdom of this world says things like status is better, pride is better, it's better to be proud, popularity is better, more Facebook friends are better, more likes are better, more stuff is better, more square footage is better, more money in the bank is better than less money in the bank. It's just pure and simple obvious, right? Anyone knows that. A 4.0 is always better than a 3.5, right? Because it's more and more is better. Personal rights Getting my rights are always better. Titles are better. Fame is better. Independence is always better than someone telling me what to do or how to live. It's always better. I remember a conversation I had years ago with a guy who's not a, not a Christian, not a believer. In Christianity, it's just the craziest thing to him. And one day we were having this conversation and we were, we were talking about the church and he asked me this question he says now i don't understand now you go to church and you have a church and you have a building and you you have salaries how do you pay for the building how do you pay for the for the supplies and the electricity and get a salary how do you do that and i said well people give he's like people give money to the church like he'd never heard this before i'm like yeah they give money to church why he's like seriously why would anyone give money to church?" Well, because they, they believe in the gospel and they want to see the gospel taken throughout the community and the world, they think it's important and they value it so they give for it. And he just stared at me, he's like, why? <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say because they believe in the gospel and they want the gospel to be taken to the world. And then I, I, I'm, I asked him, I'm like, why is this so confusing for you? And he's like, well, it's simple. Because if I give money to anyone else, at charity, like if I give money to a charity, then I don't have that money anymore. I'm like, okay, I'm with you. He's like, no, that's it. That's the the end. Then I don't have the money anymore. If I don't have the money, then it's not mine, and I have less money. Like that was the whole thing. Then I have less money. I was like, yeah, I don't know what to say. Yeah, you have less money. It's like, he's like, and that's the reason I would never give that's foolish but we were actually having the conversation because we were talking about my wife's father and I was talking about the fact that he was a fifth grade teacher his you know all of his working life and and he had five kids and he raised those kids and put them through college and he was a very 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 generous person and what this person said was well your father-in-law is a fool that's what he said he's a fool and he really believed that God's wisdom can feel like foolishness to the unspiritual. God says, Jesus says a lot of things that cause unbelievers to just scratch their head, right? You save your life by losing it, right? People are like, that that doesn't make any sense at all. (laughs) How do you save your life by losing it? You should love your enemies, right? People in the world are like, what? Why would you love your enemies? Or the path to greatness is by being the least, Again, right? Wait, no, logic, there's no logic going on here now in Christianity. Or, or forgive those who sin against you. Or pray for those who persecute you. Or, or the path to true wealth is through sacrificial generosity. What does Jesus say? The path to financial security is by giving it away. That's what he says. And you're storing it up where it can't be taken from you. Don't trust your own wisdom But fear the Lord instead. And non believers hear it and they're like, You are nuts. And there's gonna be friction. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul's talking about this very thing. He says this For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. This is God speaking. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, that is, the worldly wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? He's speaking of in natural terms. God says, where's the wise person? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Uh, by the way, I have this all printed in your notes for you. It's a long passage. Going on, he says, it's for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. He says to the, you know, to the to the Jew, to the Greek who don't know Christ, when we preach Christ crucified, Christ on a cross, Christ dying, Christ humiliation, they hear it and they go, That's foolish. That's ridiculous. That's the God that you that you serve. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. He's talking about us. We weren't the wisest. You weren't the most powerful. You were not of, of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish, it's us, in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that, so that, and here's the point, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. No one will ever be able to stand in the presence of God and say, God, you should let me into heaven because I'm smart, because I'm wise. No one will ever be able to be in Christ and say, well, the reason I'm a Christian is because I was smarter, because I was whiter, because I figured out what other people couldn't figure out. No one will stand before God and boast because none of us became Christians because we were so wise or so smart. We became Christians because God gave us his grace and his wisdom so none of us can boast. And because of him, he goes on to say, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let no one who boasts boast in the Lord. Jesus is the true wisdom of God in the flesh. If you want to know what wisdom looks like, talks like, acts like, let's look at Jesus. Jesus called us to believe in the gospel. He called us to place our faith in him, to trust in his work for us, to, to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and to follow him. That's true wisdom. But to the world, it sounds ridiculous. A little while ago, I was driving down Highway 14, and maybe this has happened to some of you. It was in the morning, I'm going to get coffee, and I notice the person in front of me is driving kind of erratically, um, and at first, they're just kind of not quite staying in the lines, which is, you know, you see that, but then they're really not staying in the line, and at one point, they become dangerously close to the cement barrier, and now I'm really kind of getting worried for them, and as I'm watching them, I, it looks like, is what, from what I can see, I think they're texting. It looks like they're looking down, and they're texting, and they're gonna hit things, and, and it gets to the point where it's so dangerous I'm concerned for them, and so I kind of flash my lights. Not my brights, just my lights. I, they were off, I kind of flicked them off, and i just trying to get their attention, and nothing they just keep driving forward and it's still dangerous so i you know hit the lights a few more times and nothing and then finally i hit the lights one more time and the the window comes down and a hand goes out and they were just like thank you but there's only one finger in there they like do not appreciate what i have to say i'm concerned for them i'm concerned they're going to kill themselves and kill some other people in the process i'm just trying to help them but they don't want help they don't want wisdom Right, But we, we give wisdom anyways, don't we? Why? Because we care about the people around us. And when you decide to embrace true wisdom and live it out and speak it out, as God defines it, you'll be swimming against the tide of our culture. And it's gonna cause friction and disagreement and rejection. So don't be shocked and don't be surprised as part of the, the cost that you pay. On the other hand, it will bring a blessing to you and to those around you and your family and your kids and your spouse, and the kingdom of God. In Matthew 7, Jesus says this, "'Everyone then who hears these words of mine "'and does them will be like a wise man, "'a wise person who built his house on the rock. "'And the rain fell, and the floods came, "'and the winds blew and beat on that house, "'but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. "'And everyone who hears these words of mine "'and does not do them will be like a foolish man "'who built his house on sand. "'And the rain fell, and the floods came, And the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Because as you know, life has its storms. It has its relational storms, its health storms, its educational and vocational and financial and conflict. I've already had many conversations with people this morning who are like, you know, I'm in the middle of a storm right now. And Jesus has some advice for us. If you want to weather the storm, then seek true wisdom. And build your life on that wisdom. So here's my question as we kind of launch into the series that I want to ask you this week. And that is, what will you do this week to more aggressively seek wisdom? And here's what I mean. Not what will I do to seek wisdom when I need it. But what will I do to have a lifestyle of seeking wisdom? What will I do to make that a lifestyle? Because that is what God is calling us to do. And that's where we begin. And there's many ways you can do it. Reading the word on a daily basis, meditating on the word, talking with spiritual people, just talking about the word with other people can be part of that. But here's my my challenge to you. As we go from here today, not just to go out and say, I'll always seek wisdom when I need it, but would you start by saying, I'm going to begin to seek wisdom every day so that when the day comes and I need it, I'll have it and be ready to go. We're gonna close by taking communion together and I'm gonna ask the deacons if they'll go out right now and grab those and as they do that, I wanna just finish with a story and then read a passage for you. Uh, years ago, in fact, uh, almost 30 years ago, um, I was a youth pastor uh, at, a, at just a church eight miles from here and I loved my job and I loved my life and I, I knew what I was doing and I kinda had it, you know, we had a nice rhythm going in our life and our first child was, was coming and it was just about that time that there was a, a gentleman who had been discipling me, who was a very wise person and one day at breakfast, we're, we're talking and he says to me, he says, you know Bob, I think it's time for you to move on. And I remember like that really was unsettling to me because I really liked my life the way it was. And he said, I think it's time for you to become a, a senior pastor at a church. Now, this was really, um, really an uncomfortable thing for me, and, and as the guys are coming forward, grab the elements and hold on to them, but this was a really uncomfortable thing for me. I, I was thinking about how um, I love my job, and I, I knew what I was doing, but being a senior pastor was not something I had trained for, uh, that I had gone to school for. I only preached a couple of times up to that point, but he was a wise person, and so I thought, okay, I'll, you know, I'll do what he says, and, he said, you know, there's a, there's a little church over in Washougal called Gateway and they're looking for a senior pastor and you should really apply for the job. And so, so I did. I applied for the job and uh, that's a whole other story, but it took it almost a year for the church to decide that there were no other good options and so they would candidate me, <laughs> uh, which is, and I'm not joking, that's literally what happened. And so, um, I, but I remember um, candidating for the job and, and, and coming here and, um, and preaching and, for, uh, and then the church had a business meeting afterwards, and they were going to vote, and I remember while they were voting, Christy and I went, and um, we went to Top Burger, and we were having lunch at Top Burger, because the fries are really good, and we were eating there, and I remember telling Christy, no matter what the vote is, I'm not taking the job, and I was just absolutely sure, when we talked about it, basically, I said, "Here's, here's why it doesn't make any sense to take the job, it makes no sense, there's no wisdom in it, because, first of all, I'll be stepping into a job out of a job that I really like and into a job that I don't even know. Like, I don't, I don't even like working with adults, you know? I like working with youth, and I, I've only preached a few times in my entire life, so I don't have that experience, and that'll be mostly what I do. Um, we, were taking, we would be taking a huge salary decrease because she was quitting her job as our first child was coming along. Um... Our first child was coming along so that was a big change. We were getting ready to buy our first house. We would be relocating, I would be changing careers. And here's the thing, Have you? I don't know if you've ever seen that chart of the most stressful things in life. And like the top five, I was gonna be doing all of those. And they said, you should never do more than two of those at one time. And we were doing all five of those at one time. And I remember telling my wife, it isn't wise. It isn't smart. It's more than we can do, we just can't do this. And I remember we we went home, we got back to the parsonage and there was a message on the machine and it was somebody from gateway said, we just voted and, um, and the vote was unanimous. And we'd really like to come be our pastor. And I remember my intuition just screaming, no, don't do it. This is the part in the movie where somebody's being chased and they go into a shed that's full of chainsaws. Like it's never like a really good choice. Don't do it. But I prayed about it and I thought about it and I listened to the wisdom of people around me. But you know, here's the thing, like looking back, and maybe you do this, sometimes you look back on decisions you made years ago, and you realize there was so much more at stake than you even knew at the time. Like, I think about how that decision not only changed my life, but my wife's life, and our three children who were born in this church and raised in this church. And I was sitting here this morning, and a couple of my kids were in the first service, and I was just thinking, like, this, like, this, that decision impacted their life and the life of so many others. We don't run on intuition. We seek God and the wisdom of God. We're gonna take communion this morning and I wanna read for you from Ephesians chapter one. It's not a passage we usually read uh, when we're taking communion, but I think it's good for us as we think about the, the body and the blood of Christ. In Ephesians one, Paul tells us this. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom. That's the Holy Spirit. The spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of God. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurably, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked notice in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at God's right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And Paul reminds us that Jesus was the wisdom of God fully demonstrated to us And not only did Jesus demonstrate to us the wisdom of God and what God is like, but he also demonstrated God's love for us, God's care for us, in that Jesus went to the cross. And on that cross, he suffered and he died. Foolishness, from the world's point of view, people literally walked by and made fun of him. But for those of us who are being saved, it is the wisdom of God. Jesus said, in the future you'll get together and, and remember what he did for us. He said you'll you'll have a piece of bread, it will represent the body of Christ that was broken for us, and the, the cup that represents the blood of Christ that was that was shed for us. And we remember this story that seems like foolishness to the world. To us is everything. That on that cross, Christ demonstrated his love for us and he made a way for us to be made right with God. Scripture says that whenever we take communion, we are to remember what he's done for us and we are to examine our lives and we always want to give time to do that and so I'm going I'm to pray for us and then I'm going to invite you to take a moment and to pray and to talk to God to examine your life talk to the Lord, and then when you're ready to go ahead and take the bread and take the cup, and Scott will come up and he'll close us in a song together. Let me pray for us. Father God, we, we thank you that you did not leave us in our natural foolish state, but that you sent your Son, who was your wisdom incarnate. And that when we have placed our faith in Christ you have given us the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, Scripture says, of wisdom who teaches us what is true and what is wise. And Father, this morning as we hold this bread and this cup we are reminded of the work of Christ for us on the cross. Of the body of Christ that was broken for us. Of the blood of Christ that was shed for us so that our sins could be forgiven when we place our faith in you. And so, Father, I pray that as we take this this morning, we would do it circumspectly, that we might take a moment to examine our life, to confess, to to, to thank you, to praise you, that this is both something somber and something joyous. Father, we thank you for the wisdom of Christ. We thank you for what he has done for us on the cross. In Jesus name we pray. And all God's people say